What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray, and we're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about finance, and of course, we're talking about business. It's a Black Man Sunday. Time to put all childish things away. I refuse to be the man I was yesterday. Gotta put my best And before we introduce today's guest, my brother Eric from Huntsville, a.k.a. Hunts, Vegas, Alabama. Who do you have for our Black Men Sunday Spotlight? Hey, thanks, Corey. I uh, really appreciate that uh, warm introduction. Again, I like to try to find figures who we don't necessarily hear about. Um, we do hear about the the average people like the Martin Luther Kings and Malcolm X's. So I'll, this is a brother I want to talk about who's positive during the civil rights movement. And his name is no other than Dr. George McLaren. Now, the interesting thing about Mr. George McLaren, he had a master's degree and he wanted to enroll in the University of um, Oklahoma. But because of certain uh, prejudices and things that's going on, he wasn't allowed entry. Now, McLaren's academic achievements are impressive. Again, he's faced significant challenges in his career due to the color of his skin. He had repeatedly, and again, repeatedly denied teaching positions at colleges and universities because of the racial discrimination. Now, despite this, he continued to pursue his passion for education and eventually landed a job as a teacher at Langston University in Oklahoma in 1948. Now, McLaren made history when he was admitted to the University of Oklahoma doctoral program in education. Now, however, because his acceptance came with a, with a catch, he would be required to sit apart from the other white classmates in the room in a closet to participate in classroom discussion, or he could not eat in the same cafeteria as his peers. Now, because of this, he did finish and went ahead and graduated and he graduated with honors. And his name was, uh, was, was admitted that he was, again, graduated with his peers. Um, but he's kind of one of these silent figures that we don't normally hear about. That's my spotlight for today. Dr. George McLaren. Now back to you, Corey. Okay, that's a great spotlight right there, man. You know I wasn't going to let you slide out of here, man. You know the swag, fam, you, man. How you feel about that, man? Man, you know what? I'm always supporting my HBCUs. So congratulations to FAMU for winning the SWAT. This is our first one being in the SWAT. So it is a, I am congratulatory to you guys. You can get to play Howard University in the Heritage Bowl. Can't wait to see how that's going to turn out. That's going to be an exciting game. But also, you know, I can't let that day shine without showing a spotlight on my alma mater, Alabama A&M, which if you did see the Macy's Day Parade, our band led the parade on this televised parade. So shout out to my HBCU school, my graduate school, Alabama A&M. I want to give them a little, you know, a little shine on them too. I can't talk too much about FAMU, but hey, again, congratulations. I always support my HBCUs, and I'm glad to see we're doing some positive things. Definitely, man. And, you know, it's funny, man. I feel like every time we have a guest on this show, they somehow – have some link to Alabama. And I'm like, today's guest does too. 
So, okay. you know, so yeah, man. So, hey, I appreciate that spotlight, my brother, man. Let's go on and introduce today's guest, man. We have David M. Walker, Esquire, on here. People's like, oh, I think I've heard of him. I think that's the guy with the waters. But yeah, you got to realize this guy's an accomplished business attorney. But we're going to take it back a little bit. You know, he's Atlanta-based. A lot of brothers and sisters know him. But y'all might not know this brother has a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering. This brother has a JD from the University of Detroit Mercy. So I'm like, okay, he's in Atlanta, but he went to Michigan. He's got his JD from the University of Detroit Mercy. Okay, he must be a Detroit guy. He came on the show a little early. He's like, yeah. I'm a Detroit guy. I said, oh, that's what's up. Okay. But before we jump into all that, let's introduce this brother first. He's an entrepreneur, an Atlanta-based attorney. And this brother, when I say he has his own water, this brother has his own positivity water. David M. Walker, Esquire. Welcome to Black Men Sundays, brother. How you doing? Hey, thanks for having me, man. That's quite a quite an intro. I love it. Good yeah, energy, man. good juice. Good Definitely. job. Definitely. But let's I got to I got to take it back, man. You know, you have a bachelor of science in mechanical engineering degree. At what point did you say, I'm going to become a lawyer and get a JD? <laughs> man, I, you know what happens in life, man, is just you get pointed in a different direction at different times in your life. And I don't know how it happens, but when you have the grace and mercy of God watching over you, some of those decisions come a little easier than others because I didn't even though I would be an engineer. Hell, I didn't even know I would go to Michigan. I grew up in the hood Detroit. My dad died of overdose of drugs when I was nine. I had two uncles murdered by the time I was 14. You know, so I was a kid of a single mom trying to raise, you know, two kids. And uh, I got a lot of lucky breaks in life. And uh, I did it not because of money. I did it because I just learned how to treat people right. I developed, I, I established some principles in my life called TREE. And this, I actually use this acronym TREE for kids so I can ex help explain to them that you don't need money to survive in life. TREE stands for time, relationship, energy, and enthusiasm. Those are the four things that you need to get out the hood. Time is a great equalizer because everybody has 24 hours in the day. So it's really about trying to get to places early no matter what, right? Like this Zoom, could have got in at 4.15? No, I got in at four o'clock, why? Because time is a measurement that shows how you can be consistent. So when I went to school, got to school early. When I went to meetings, got to meetings early. The second thing that happens are is relationships. When you go to bed at night, it's just you. When you wake up in the morning, it's just you. Everybody in between is a character and God's the audience. And how you engage with those characters is how your day is going to go. Well, the more characters you get in your story, the more things that can happen. So I took it upon myself to make relationships with as many people as possible. The janitor, the teacher, the guy next door, people around the street. Just have a relationship with them. And the, the third part, energy, means that when you engage somebody, make them feel better about themselves after they engage you than before they felt before they engaged you. So, you know what I'm saying? Hey, Corey, that's a very nice microphone you have there. Hey, Eric, congratulations on your Alabama A&M victory. You know, there's always things that you can say to people to make them feel better. And then they, in turn, are interested in you. And lastly is enthusiasm. We all got things to do, all of us. Me, you, Warren Buffett, 
uh, Tyler Perry. We all got stuff to do. The question is, how do you tack the things you have to do? I choose to do mine with enthusiasm unknown to mankind. So I try to tell kids, you don't need money to be that kind of person. But if you do that and you start to point yourself in a certain direction, you move in that direction. Now, that's a long-winded answer about how an engineer became an attorney. But I do think uh, it lays the groundwork for the actual story because I was at Michigan. I was an engineer, but I only chose to be an engineer at Michigan because I was good at math. I did, you know, growing up in Detroit, it's very hard to be good in English and other topics that are subjective. But math, two plus two was four. So, you know, teachers suggested, hey, you should probably go into a math field. Plus, there was no foreign language requirements for engineers. But as I was in engineering, there's a certain characteristic of engineers, right? When we would go up to the plant, you know, to visit in, and see engineers in the Ford plant, we get back on campus, the group I would be working with wanted to work on the engineering project right away. Me, I'm going out. We play Notre Dame tomorrow. <laughs> then the little Lions come on on Sunday, leave my piece, you know, for Sunday night. <laughs> so y'all work on the rest and I'll come to it. That gets you through college, but that is not the people you want to compete against for a job every day, right? And one day I was senior year, I was working at a country club and one of the members, you know, I was a busboy, you know, one of the members saw me all summer, said, Dave, you're at Michigan, what are you going to do when you graduate? Like, I actually have no idea. Like, I'm in engineering. I don't really love it. But, you know, I guess that's where I am. Maybe graduate school. He says, you should become a patent attorney. I was like, what is a patent attorney? It's like, ah, you know, they do inventions. And if you have a technical degree, you can actually qualify to become a patent attorney. And I was like, I don't know. He was like, they make the most money out of all attorneys. <laughs> and I was like, okay, now you said something. You know, money, you make some money, and it's not engineering. So I went to look at law school simply to try to become a patent lawyer to make this money. But when you get into law school, you kind of figure out a lot of different things. One of them I figured out quickly is that patent lawyers are still very much like engineers <laughs> in terms of their mindset and what they wanted to do. And when I graduated and took the bar. I worked at a law firm and I did my first corporate transaction. It was a corrugated box company that was being sold. And I had to do all the closing documents and look at the company, et cetera. But at the closing, around this table, 12 people, the buyer, the sellers, seller's attorneys, buyer's attorneys, the bank, bank's attorneys, all these people in the room. And they are super happy, right? And then you see a closing statement that shows where everybody's money going. <laughs> buyer's money, seller's money, seller's attorney's money, buyer's attorney's money, bank's money, bank's counsel money. And it's like, wow, look at these zeros. Look how happy everyone is. And that's when I decided that this is the part of law I want to be in, where people are happy, closing deals, doing things that are exciting. I hated jail. I hated courthouses. I hated going to litigation. I didn't like any of it. And the life of Dave Walker as the corporate attorney took off from there. So, you know, who knows? I just listen to a lot to what happens around me. And that person, that one day random person says that to you. And I thought, man, this is, this is something to look into. So I take every engagement with every single relationship very seriously. Definitely. And just to clarify, you know, you're a business attorney. So that means you advise corporations, small businesses, startups, and you're a corporate law expert. You do contract negotiations. 
intellectual property rights, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the basis of it. I think I, I try to simplify it and tell people, I help you start your business, uh, buy a business. If you're looking to buy a business, if you want to sell a business that you're in, if you want to raise capital with investors, right? I look at all your contracts. I don't do any bad news law like divorce or criminal or DUI or bankruptcy. I've been in court maybe eight times in 25 years. And here in Atlanta, it's a great entrepreneur, great entrepreneur base. A lot of good business owners here. In fact, um, the first 10 years of my law career, I did high-level corporate law. I worked at law firms, high big-time law firms, both in Michigan and also here in Atlanta. I became a, a corporate counsel of a venture capital firm. And if you don't know what venture capital is, if you ever see flip this house, venture capitalists flip this business, right? They buy a business low, put people and things into it and sell it. Well, I was corporate counsel for them. And then eventually I became president to a venture capital firm. And I took a Korean company public in the US. It was using nanotechnology to uh, cool electronic components at the time. This was back in 2004, 2005. And then I became corporate counsel for that public company. And that was the first 10 years of my career. I pretty much reached the maximum point of what somebody in this field would want to reach. They're corporate counsel of a publicly traded company. I have attorneys working for me in Korea, in the UK, in the US. They're all working around the table, all making $700 per hour. But man, I had my aunt using prepaid legal for her beauty school. I had my cousin using a criminal attorney for his massage business. And I was sitting in Atlanta and I said, no, I want to go and work directly with our people to help them get their boat into the ocean. Forget about navigating in the ocean. People just needed help getting their boat in the ocean. And I started my practice here in Atlanta and I walked away from it in 2008, all of the salary in, in the public company. And I said, I'm gonna open up my own practice working exclusively with startup and small business owners here in Atlanta. And so that's the origins of Atlanta business attorney. I used to, when you first get into a new area, you have to cultivate the community. And I used to attend a lot of networking events, just kind of letting people know, hey, I'm Dave Walker, I'm an attorney. But then I just decided I was gonna create my own audience. And what I did is I would invite people who were looking to start their business into my offices on Saturdays from 10 to 12, just to talk business every single Saturday. So when they would say, what's Saturday, Dave? I'm like, this Saturday. Like every, like Saturday? Yeah, any Saturday. You want to come to come in an office? I have a CPA talk, a website person talk. I have different people talk about those things in business. And then I would fold law in and slowly built up a network and a community of business owners and entrepreneurs who then understood the value of an attorney more than just, oh, I'm getting through a divorce or I'm going through some bad new stuff or I need to sue somebody. Someone didn't pay me. And I had to show them and cultivate the community why the value proposition for an attorney is. And then when they realized, oh, wow, you can help with financial statements. You can help with contracts. You can help me organize whether something's a good investment or a bad investment. And that became the life of, you know, Atlanta business attorney, Dave Walker. So it's, and it's been a blast here. You know, like I said, Atlanta's a great town, great business oriented people. And, um, I love my clients. I love what I do. Definitely, man. And, you know, as you stated, you're an entrepreneur. Before we dive into, you know, what, what we're all sipping on over here, before we dive into that, man, I kind of want to stay on the on the law side of things, man. You know, for brothers out here that and my brother Ed's on the line, he's uh, a lawyer in a in Tampa. He's got his own law firm. 
So this is more of a lawyer question for brothers that are, you know, fresh out of law school. They want to get their own firm, but they don't know from a financial level, okay, how much money should I have stacked? You know, how can they go about leaving the firm that they're with that may have commercials on TV to, okay, I want to step out and do my own thing. What advice would you give for those brothers and sisters out there? That is an excellent point. And actually, I mentor a lot of first-time soloists who are coming either from a firm or some people come right out of law school and try it. Um, And I think the number one thing you have to be in any business is humble yourselves, right? Becoming a lawyer and starting a business are two different things, right? Just because you're a lawyer doesn't mean you know how to run a business. And if you try to say, well, I'm a lawyer, I should know this, you're going to fail. You have to say, I don't know anything because I'm a lawyer, right? And when you start your own business, you have to ask yourself, are you selling a service or product? That's the first question you have to figure out. This is a product, water. Law is a service. If you're selling a service, the question is, how much should people pay for your service and how much time can you provide for them for that service? So in law, you got to set an hourly rate of what your time is worth and compare it to the market. So you don't get to just say, I'm, I'm doing it on my own. I'm going to go with the highest rate right now, six, $700. You got to be at a smaller rate. And then you got to ask yourself, where am I going to get the people who are going to pay this rate? Now, for me, I don't do litigation. I don't go to court. I don't like anything about the court. I don't like the way the parking lot smells. I don't like the metal detectors. I don't like judges, guns, bailiffs, all that stuff. No. So for me, I knew I would not use my services to go to court. I would use my services for transaction. So I'm what you call a transactional attorney. But if you are a person that goes to court for your services, you got to ask yourself, how do these people end up in court, right? And you got to do things to drive that consumer base. Therefore, if you're in personal injury, you got to put your name out there on billboards where accident happens because they want a personal injury attorney, right? And if you're me, a transactional person, that doesn't help me, right? So I have to actually find where do business owners congregate? So I had to join Chamber of Commerces, right? And talk to business owners. I had to put myself out there. And then you have to ask yourself, how do people typically find a business attorney? Number one is they Google it because <laughs> they quite frankly don't want to tell other people that they're looking for an attorney, at least in our community, right? And so you got to say, okay, for me, maybe Google rankings matter. So that's one of the things you're going to have to look for if you're a transactional attorney and say, hey, how's my advertising, online advertising game come? And am I putting myself in the, the area where people who are looking for this kind of thing might find me? And then referrals, right? I mean, people always say, Dave, how, how do I know if I have a good attorney? And I tell them, if you ask yourself that question, that means you don't, right? So you got to make sure that people really value your work so they can tell other people like hey i worked with dave on this project he was great you should use him right so you got to kind of build that momentum of what you're going to be known for one of the things that's hardest with these solo practitioners they want to do everything 
Can you do a contract? Yep. Can you go to court? Yep. Can you do this? Yep. And people can't remember what they do, right? Like if I told you I was an attorney that specialized in wedding services, like for real, like, yeah, I represent people who do, you know, birthday cakes, people who perform events that anything associated with wedding, I represent those people. That's easy to remember, right? Because you have a narrowly defined place. But if I say to you, I'm an attorney that can just do everything, you're like, I don't really know what that means. So I try to tell people to be as specific as possible. And they think, well, I do more than wedding cakes. I do lawn services. I do other people. People will still find you, even if you give them a narrow reason to think about you. They still might say, I'm going to call the wedding cake person to see if they got somebody who does lawn, right? So I try to tell people, don't be a generalist. Say, I do this. I specialize in DUI. I specialize in uh, people who've been hit by trucks. I specialize for me. I work exclusively with business owners. So if you're not a business owner or planning to become one, probably not my client because I work exclusively for business owners as the business attorney. So um, knowing that you have a service, the more specific you can be and become a specialist in a specific area, the better chance you have. Mm, oh, great information. I just wanted to get that out there because I, you know, I speak to brothers all the time, sisters all the time that they're like, well, look, you know, I'm an attorney, but I'm like, well, what, what's your specialty? And I'm kind of like, after they're done talking, I'm kind of like, uh, okay, exactly. So I, I'm, I'm glad you cleared that right up. Love that. So let's transition, man. Positivity water. First off, where did the idea, yeah, let me show mine too, man, positivity bottle water. Now, where did the idea come from? Great question. And I'm, I'm glad this is a Sunday because it's the appropriate day in which my thoughts started to move down the path of bottled water. So um, a lot of people ask, how do you go from being a business attorney in Atlanta to being in a bottled water business? And um, it comes back to my engineering. I have a client who sells bottling equipment to beverage companies. These are blow motors, chillers, compressors. They put the utilities in and I'd review their contracts, you know, have them take a look at some things. And one day we had to actually visit a facility for a negotiation of a contract. We went to a bottled water company and like anything else, when you go to these plants, they, as a courtesy, give you a tour. You put your little net over your beard and your hair and put your glasses on and put the stuff over your shoes or whatever you walk through. It's just typical guest stuff when you get to these plants before they start the meeting. Well, we walked through there, man, and I, my engineering kicked in and I fell in love. I mean, I was up and down the aisles with the engineers. <laughs> my my client's like, don't worry, he's he's my attorney. You know, don't he's, he's fine. <laughs> so I'm talking to them like, hey, what does this do? How do you do this? And it was just the most fascinating process ever. And then me being an engineer, I wasn't intimidated by it, super curious. And so I thought to myself, this is interesting. Well, even leading up to that, one day I went to church and the pastor challenged us and said, you know, hey, I'm gonna take this whiteboard. And he rolled it all the way outside from inside the church to outside the parking lot. We had these sticky notes on the table. And he says, I want you to grab a sticky note and write your most outrageous goal in life and put it on this whiteboard. So like, wow, you know, reading all the sticky notes, you know, hit the lottery, buy a big house, you know, have a dog, whatever. And I'm like, man, what is my outrageous goal? And I've been through poverty. 
in Detroit. I've seen wealth. And I'm like, I don't know if it's really money related. And then it hit me. I've always wanted my own Super Bowl trophy since I was a kid. <laughs> my own trophy. My own Super Bowl trophy. And I can't get it as a player because I don't play. And I can't coach. But I said, I'm going to own an NFL team and win the Super Bowl trophy. Because owning a team without a trophy is the waste of everyone's time. So on my sticky note, I wrote, own an NFL team and win the Super Bowl trophy. Put it on a sticky note. And, you know, you laugh, you giggle a little bit. But then you say, hey, if I'm walking in a direction, am I even walking towards that direction? Like, if it's 2 million miles away, am I pointed in the right way to get there? And I took an assessment of my life, my career, what I was doing, and is it really on the path to own an NFL team? And it wasn't. I mean, attorneys, they don't own teams. Owners hire attorneys. So it's like, I'm not going to get there as an attorney. I'm going to have to figure out a product. I'm going to have to figure out what makes sense to me. And when I took a tour of this plant, I was like, this is it. This is it. I want to get into bottling water. I think this is great. And one of the things that you have to do when you enter an industry is you have to guess where it's going and you have to kind of position yourself for where it will be. So if you've ever been a football game, you throw to somebody who's running. If you throw it exactly where he's running, it's going to be thrown, the ball's going to get thrown behind him. You got to throw it ahead of him. So I looked at the bottled water industry and where it was going to be. This was back in 2013 and 14. One of the things that I noticed is that the efficiency of bottling water had increased significantly and very quickly. And even if you look at the decades of how people used to bottle water up till now, the, the efficiency in which it operates was very, very high right now. Secondly, I saw that the government does not bottle water. The city of Atlanta does not bottle water. The U.S. government doesn't bottle water. They have deals through FEMA, et cetera, with bottling companies, but they don't bottle water. I also saw in our community, and nobody looked like me. I went to the International Bottled Water Association. Was, no one there looks like me. Nobody looks like me owns a plant. And then I would listen to them talk about the future of bottled water. They actually predicted that bottled water would pass carbonated beverages and consumption per capita back in 2016. And it did. And that was going even further past. They also talked about recycling. So one of the things that when I was in the plant that was very agitating to the engineers there was how people had mislabeled the plastic used in bottled water. They said, this is some of the most valuable plastic out there. In fact, if the plastic stays together, we ship it back to our supplier and bundle and get credit because it's very valuable. But once you mix that plastic, whether they're plastics, cardboards, et cetera, it can never be of the kind of quality that will make a bottle again. It can become a park bench or rubber pellets or whatever, but it can never become a bottle again. And they showed how they're packaged. And I had, they had no trash at this plant. It's what's called circular, when you use your resources and put them back in a circle. So that's my aha moment. I said, I'm going to build small plants in our community and we're going to convince people to bring back the bottles and create a circular closed loop system in which the bottles are brought back. And I'm going to incentivize them with money to bring the bottles back. And we're going to create closed loop systems and we're going to have access to bottled water in our community. Because when you're 
when your pipes go out, they tell you, go to Walmart, get some water. But they don't give you a coupon. <laughs> they don't say, okay, let them know that, you know, your house water went out and, you know, here, get a couple cases on me. We're left. And if we're not in that distribution chain, when bottled water runs out, we're out. I mean, when our community, toilet paper runs out first, bottled water runs out first, everything, right? It, but it's such a critical staple. I said, you know, I want to be in bottled water. I want to build micro plants for our communities. I'm going to build them all over the country and build them for other people, for other private business owners and people who own these springs, et cetera, micro versions. These big plants right now are 150,000, you know, 30 dock doors. They're huge, but you can actually build a small, efficient plant on 30 to 50,000 square feet um, that could produce three to five, 10 million cases a year. It might sound like a lot. It's not a lot. It's about 200,000 households, but that's the way the future of bottled water, and it can be done anywhere because they use municipal water as a source. They filter it through a process called reverse osmosis, but essentially, if you have a three-inch inlet of a municipal, you can actually bottle your water, you know, yourself. So I built a plan <laughs> to do this. Now, talking to my engineers, and they're like, oh, we have a plant like over in Angola. I'm like, yes, yes, the Angola plant. And I'm also talking to the big bottle owners and they're like, you know, hey, you know, brother, that's a nice big goal. I'm like, yeah, my favorite movie is The Shawshank Redemption. So I'm taking my time, but I'm studying. I think, I think this is where I want to go. And the bottler said, listen, if this is the, truly the route you're going, you need to understand distribution before you build a plant. Otherwise, you're going to build a plant and your water's going to be sitting there. So, okay. I was like, well, if you were me and you had forever and you want to take your time, how would you do it? I said, you know, start with private label, meaning that they bottle it, you brand it, and market it. And I said, okay. <laughs> and they said the starting minimum case amount is 50,000 cases. I'm like, damn, that's not going to fit in my garage. <laughs> so I had to partner with people who understood how to move that much water. It's a, like any other business, you know, you had to go stand in the back, start from the beginning. So I, I had a Another gentleman I had a good relationship with from a deal a couple years prior, those um, um, Native Americans in New Mexico were looking to build their own bottled water plant. And uh, one of the guys on their team was really, really good at uh, bottled water uh, sales and things like that, but the deal didn't go through. And I stayed in touch with him. He was a Patriots fan. And, uh, you know, I was a Tom Brady fan and just kind of stayed connected. And I introduced him. <laughs> to this bottling company. I said, hey, man, this, these people want 50,000 cases. Like, I can't do that. And he's like, well, well what, what kind of capacity do they have? You know, how many pallets and how many trucks? And like, hold, hold on, hold on. <laughs> then I called the, the bottled water company. Hey, I got a guy. He can sell 50,000. Well, what's his minimum order? Because we had to do this. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> then I put them on the phone together. I said, okay, go ahead and ask your questions. And oh man, they were talking all kind of bottled water talk at that time. <laughs> and then by the time they both hung up and I talked to them, they was like, oh, I like that guy. We can work with him. Both the bottler, like the salesperson, salesperson, like the bottler. And the next thing you know, we were moving um, truckloads of a brand called Integrity, uh, both spring and purified. Now, the way bottled water distribution works is water is very heavy. So the more, the further you have to carry it, the more expensive it is. Good news is they had about 15 plants across the country, and we draw a little 150-mile radius around each plant. 
and try to target truckload sales within that radius. And specifically what happened with positivity is after about you know two years of selling truckloads to these distribution companies, um, I would always have in the summer a truckload brought to Atlanta and have people come get water for whatever, family reunion, picnics, you name it. You know, Corey, if you was in Atlanta, Dave, I need 10 cases for my picnic. You know, this is spring and purified water. Oh, come on over. And then I would obviously talk to you about water. You say, oh, like, how'd you get this water? And I have conversations with clients and friends about it. But something happened. Black women would ask me repeatedly about alkaline water. And I was like, I don't know what alkaline water is. And they would say, I take these five gallon jugs, go down to the nutritional store, put it in, fill it, take it home. I said, you do? I said, yeah. I said, I use it for, they had all kinds of reasons. Uh, skin, uh, health, fitness, someone's battling the illness like cancer or something. I was like, really? And I was like, how much do you pay for it? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Like it was more expensive than regular water. I said, oh, yeah, well, I'll keep an eye on it. And I went to the International Bottled Water Association meetings, and they would talk about trends in bottled water, as I mentioned. And one day, one year they were saying, like, you know, there's this, at that time, it was what we called um, enhanced waters coming out. Hint, you know, zero calorie water with a splash of lemon or whatever, lime. And then they said, oh, within this enhanced category, which is already small, is another tiny group of alkaline water drinkers. I said, that's what that's what these women in Atlanta keeps telling me about the black women telling me about it. So I go to my bottler and said, this, we need to, we need to do some alkaline water. And he's like, well, we have a line up in Wisconsin. Like, no, no, too far. It's like, okay, we can try something in Greenville, Tennessee in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, yeah, that's much closer. So he's like, you know the routine. You come up with the brand and the messaging, we'll bottle the water. And all I could think about was the characteristics of the women who were asking for the water. It's like, they're all very positive people. Let's call it positivity. So that's where the name positivity came from. The second thing that they would tell me is that they'd have to read the back of these labels in real tiny print to determine if something's alkaline water or not. So I was like, we're gonna make the alkaline water big right under the name. And then the last thing they would say that they, asked for is the pH level. It's like, okay, so put the pH level on there. And hence, positivity was born. <laughs> now, the, I'm a business attorney, supply and demand, right? I see the trends in bottled water, alkaline, Black women asking for alkaline, I get the alkaline. I did not taste my first bottle or, or anything of alkaline until the truckload arrived, bro. <laughs> like a truckload pulls up 21 pallets, 26,000 bottles, and I reach in, open up a case, and I drank it. And I drank about a third of the bottle. You know, you look at the label. And I was like, this alkaline water, because you you know, you don't want it to be nasty or have to explain it to people, you know, if you're about to eat a meal, like, hey, Corey, before you eat your meal, I, you probably shouldn't have that because it's going to leave residue on your tongue. Like, I'm just thinking all these things that might be wrong with alkaline water. And I was like, yo, this is good. So I drank the whole bottle. And I couldn't believe it. And I started working on the second bottle. <laughs> Like, no, this is actually good. And I took some home to my family and my wife and kids, and my wife started putting it in the fridge, which is, you know, if your wife started putting stuff in the fridge, you know, it's legit. You know, the fridge is high value real estate to black women. They don't play around. <laughs> so um, we 
I said, I said this is actually pretty good stuff. She's like, yeah, it's good. So uh, I wasn't sure yet. And I went to, we went to the Peachtree Road Race here in Atlanta. So like a thousand runners that come to town on more than that, maybe 10,000 that come to town um, on the 4th of July. And before you go to the road race, you have to check in to get your badge and your shirt. So we bought a booth um, on the at the place where you pick up the badge. And I said, these are people who drink a lot of water. So let's try them. So I would pour a cup. Me and my family poured cups for them and said, if you like this, we'll give you a bottle. And uh, if you give us your email, we took a thousand bottles and got 700 emails that day. And the majority of those people, 95% of them, never tasted alkaline water before. And they loved it. In fact, the scariest part is when the alkaline water drinkers came over. So here I am, supply and demand. I got this product for alkaline water drinkers. And there'd be people there. You know, I drink alkaline all the time. I drink Essentia. I drink all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, are they going to spit this out? Like, how does this taste to them? Like, they drink it. I was like, this is, this is real good. I was like, okay. And then somebody next to them go, tell me the benefits of alkaline water. I go, no, no, you tell them. And they go, oh, this is why I drink it. And so what I realized at that moment is I don't tell people the benefits of alkaline water. Alkaline water drinkers tell people the benefits of alkaline water. We just provide the positivity for people who are looking for alkaline water. And that's the story behind it. And then, you know, DJ Envy got on board, City Trends came along, got into the airport and things just took off. And now we'll be in 40 Walmarts around here in Atlanta in uh, in March. It's a growing brand. It's, I mean, it's, it's got my full attention now. <laughs> it's something that I just thought was, you know, see, add another product to the list and see what happens. It becomes a full-on brand. And man, it's just so fun. We got an amazing team. Everyone's super positive. And we still donate local charities that have positive events, outdoor events. And um, we got a really fun fan base. And people are very proud to see it. Text me when they see it at the stores or they see it on the Breakfast Club. And it's just really fun. Definitely, man. Great information, man. You just took like the last four questions out of him. I was like, okay, I was going to ask him about all that, but he done did it, you know, because I, I know when you sent the water to me, I'm not going to lie, I never drank alkaline. Like I would see, you know, celebrities or maybe rappers that work out. Oh, I drank alkaline. So I'm like, I never had alkaline water. I'm like, asked my wife. She said, I heard about it, but we had never drank it. So we, you know, we drank it a little bit and we we're like, okay, this is. It's, it definitely was a little different. You know, it had a little flavor. I was like, okay, it has a little flavor to it. It was almost like a, like a, a Cristal Dasani, if that makes sense. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> it does, man. man. It's funny because uh, when you serve a product to black women, you better get it right. Because they don't play around, right? They don't got no time for your feelings. And they definitely not messing up their taste buds. And the fact that positivity has pretty much tripled in revenue the year over year leading up to last year is a sign that the community has accepted it. The 55 star reviews on Google is a sign that the community has accepted it. And it's water. You can get it wrong though. There's some nasty waters out there. I'm going you can probably guess them. People tell me, but I'm not gonna tarnish a potential partner's brand. <laughs> but there's some people who don't do water very well or brands that don't. And so it's a big compliment, man, when people say they enjoy it, that they taste the difference, the difference is good, and they enjoy it. 
And it's a bigger compliment when they say, I can't go back to the other water now. <laughs> so I appreciate you and your wife uh, coming on the positive journey with me. Definitely, brother. And let me open the stage up. All right, fellas, David and Walker's on. You know, say your name in your city or state. Go ahead. Hey, how you doing? My name is Edwin, man. Good stuff. I'm an attorney down in Tampa. I mean, just what you said about the specialization when you're opening up your own practice, man, that was on point. I mean, it's just even even 15 years later, I'm still trying to take almost anything that can come through the door just to keep the, you know, keep the lights on. So, you know, it's not easy in our profession. You have to carry everybody else's business burden as well as your own individual business uh, burden itself. And so people like you and I who are trusted servants of the public and who try our best, um, we also do to have a life and you know owning a business is stressful whether it's law practice or grocery store or paper route it's it's all stressful but it's it's based upon faith right like business owners have a tremendous amount of faith because they don't know where their revenue is coming from <laughs> you know employees everyone knows when their check is coming uh, but when you own a business you don't know you just know i put in the good work put in marketing and we'll see what happens. Some months you have great months. You think this is the best decision of my life. And then you go without a client for a month. And you're like, man, I need to probably go work for somebody. And you have to, you get to a point where your stomach is just calm because you know it's going to go like this up and down. And in our business, if you're a business owner, you know this phrase, you just got to make more money. Our expenses are fixed. You're not going to return groceries, et cetera. But you know, all we can do is make more money. <laughs> so to all you business owners out there, you know, stay focused, make more money. There's three things that make up the mindset of a business owner. The first thing is they think about revenue, revenue, revenue all the time. How can I make more money? The second thing is they outsource things that they don't understand or they're not good at. Right. So if I could probably fix my own plumbing, if you gave me enough time but I'm not, I'm going to do it for about an hour and I'm hiring a plumber. Same thing in business. Don't build your website. If you're a lawyer, what are you doing? You're a website builder, hire someone, right? Spend your time lawyering. And then lastly, they network with other business owners and uh, customers. So using your 12 to 16 hours to hunt down revenue um, by networking and meeting people is what business owners do. And we wake up, Wash, rinse, repeat. And you're always on. There's no weekends. There's no sleep. No watches. Most business owners don't need no watch. <laughs> they know they got to make money now. So I enjoy that mentality. I love motivating people. I love helping them come up with creative ways to increase the revenue as well as to protect what they have. Yeah, this is Kalani. I'm out of Maryland. Um, I just got a, a, a real basic question. You've been sharing it with us, uh, you know, the whole the whole time, but um. You know, I'm looking at potentially starting a couple of different businesses. I'm also trying to help a couple of my friends start businesses. Um, and, you know, we're in the planning stages of starting that business. How, how important, or could you talk about how important it is to, like, actually sit down and write out what your business plan is, like go through all the steps of having, like, you know, an executive summary, writing down what your vision is, or writing down, you know, doing your market research and seeing who your competitors are going to be and who your uh, – who your customers are going to be yeah absolutely i think one of the things that i tell people before they go in business is that time is on your side right now 
Like once you start spending that first dollar, once you open up that business bank account, and if you form an LLC and get an EIN number, you can open up a bank account on Monday. But once you start putting money in that account and spending, you're on, the clock starts. You know, imagine having an hourglass and they tell you, you better make enough money to feed your family by the end of this. When you turn that hourglass over, you better make enough money to feed your family by the time that hourglass ends. You'd be like, well, wait, hold up, hold up. <laughs> like, don't flip it yet. <laughs> like, hold on a minute. Like, what you mm -hmm. mean, make money? Like, where you got to do? Which means you have time before mm -hmm. you start your business. So the first thing I try to tell people is you have to give yourself grace in the business that time is on your side and that each day you want to get a little bit better. Okay. Like, so don't say, I want to get my business by the end of this year, but you say, I'm going to do something tomorrow in my business. And you keep saying that and get 1% better. That's good. So to your point, how do I get 1% better in my business when I haven't started my business yet? And it is to map out exactly how you might move once you start your business. And so people have a hard time with that. And they, they you call it a business plan. I don't really say it's a business plan. I say, though, you have to ask yourself four questions when you are starting your business. Well, let me back up. You need money for your business, right? And assuming everybody doesn't have all the money that they need to start a business, right? I'm from Detroit. I get it. So people are asking me like, okay, if I don't have enough, how do I get the money that I need going forward, right? Because I haven't saved up, et cetera. And the answer is you need an investor. You need somebody with somebody else's money to come into your company, okay? Now the question is, how do you get people to put money into your company? And the first thing you have to realize is everybody's a potential investor. Your mother, father, cousin, auntie, coworker, you know, neighbor are all potential investors. They haven't invested with you because you didn't make them an offer. But if you make them a qualified offer, they might consider investing. So let's talk about what does a qualified offer look like for an investor into a company? And I think you have to answer four questions when you talk to people. Again, this isn't just banks. This is everybody from you and your individual self all the way to a bank. So angel investors, venture capital firms, everybody wants to know these four questions. Your mom, your dad, your, your sister, everybody wants to know these four questions before they move their money from their safe savings account into your account, your business account. One, they want to know what do you do? Sell bottled water. Okay. Why are you good at it? Well, we're going to be at 40 Walmarts. We've tripled our revenue over the last few years. We have a closed loop recycling program. We have bring the bottles back. We're sustainable. We're black owned. We're located in Pittsburgh Yards. Okay, great. First two questions. What do you do? Why are you good at it? Right? Those are the first two. And everybody's usually happy. Like, I'm, I'm going to raise money in a minute. The third thing is how much money do you need? Okay? And every time I ask somebody that, they tell me what they do. And I say, how much money do you need? The number one answer is actually a sound. <laughs> and the sound is about um, about um, 50,000, about um, 100,000, <laughs> about uh, 25,000. And they don't know how bad that sounds to a person who has their money in their savings account. It sounds like you want me to give you your money so you can figure things out. And nobody wants to do that. But if you said, I need 20, $22.7 million because I'm going to spend 
12 million dollars this month building the infrastructure and putting in blow motors a chiller a compressor and getting uh, our early preforms in and then i'm going to lose you know fifty thousand dollars a month for the next 12 months so i turn a profit in 2024 late spring when we ought to have our two gallon jug ready now that person is prepared to receive the money because they've shown me that they know exactly how much they need so i tell people in order to really start your business plan you really start to got to think about the money being in your account. Like, what do you mean, Dave? So if I asked you how much money you need, you said about 50,000. I said, okay, suppose you have $2,000 in your account right now. And we went to Tyler Perry's house tonight, met Tyler Perry, told him what you do, how much money you needed. And suppose he just said, oh, 50,000, no problem. Tomorrow I'm going to wire it into your LLC. So Monday morning, you wake up. You hit F5 15 times, <laughs> refresh on your bank account because there's $53,000 sitting there. Are you spending that money on Monday? Like, who are you wiring money to? Who Are you are you finding, you found a place? Are you going to go find a place? All right, so you're not going to spend the money on Monday. It's going to stay in Mr. Perry's account. But if I say, oh no, I've already found the chiller. It's a tech long 3000. I already found a location in Pittsburgh Yard. It's plot number 244. I'm going to wire the money over there. I'm going to hire this person whose uh, benefits and salary is going to cost this much per month. And then uh, leave the rest of the money in your account, you know, um, Mr. Tyler Perry, because we can just pay it out in tranches because the rest of it I won't need until we get to the next phase of our program. Same thing with business. You got to spend the time to do the research on where you're gonna be spending your money in the business. And you gotta say, okay, let me go ahead and call a lawyer and find out how much it costs. Let me go ahead and find an account and find out how much it costs. Let me go ahead and look at how much this rent gonna be at a specific location. Don't put in your business plan rent $1,000. Put rent at 234 Main Street is $784 plus HOA plus whatever, right? Like you gotta go through that detail and that work. And when you talk to people, about how much money you need, the detail and the work you've done is going to come out like this because you've already really got through it. But when you're like, I ain't thought that far, when you say about um, it pretty much tells me you haven't thought this through. And I try to tell my clients, don't say that. Don't my clients, none of my clients ever say about um. <laughs> they're like, yeah, you're right. And they, they come back, and you know what they find out? They find out it was more money than they thought. Like, actually, I put it in a spreadsheet, Dave. It's more like 97000 and that's okay, but at least you know, and when you talk to people, you go on Shark Tank, whatever, at least you know the amount you need. Don't go, give me the money and I'll figure it out. People don't like that. Okay, the fourth one, which is what I help with, is what does the investor get, right? You talk to all this stuff to Tyler Perry, he's going to give you 50000 on Monday, but what is he getting? <laughs> and that's where people really did. Well, I never thought about that, Dave. Well, trust me, anybody who's giving you money, they're thinking about it. And the answer to that is... Um, it varies. In general, if you can pay, if you did the business model right, and you can pay the money back within a year or two, you probably are borrowing it. You know, Mr. Perry, I think you're going to cash flow in six months. I think I can pay you uh, five thousand dollars a month to the fifty thousand is paid off. So we'll have a promissory note where I'll borrow fifty, and in six months I'll start making five thousand dollar payments until it's paid off, and you'll get paid back interest sixty thousand dollars in two years. Got to know, because if if Tyler Perry's like, well, I need that 50000 over the next two years, so I don't think I can do that. You got to tell investors how they're going to pay back so they can know where they're pulling the money from, right? Somebody borrows $20, and you tell them you're going to pay them back on Friday, like, okay, 
you tell them 2025, I'm like, oh, wait, uh, let me see if I need that 20. So a lot of times people can't afford to pay back a loan in a short amount of time and they need the long-term investment. And that's where they give them a piece of their company, right? They say, okay, you know, Mr. Perry, I don't want to put pressure on my company. Uh, so I'm just going to give you a piece of the company. And that part is math. If your company's worth 500,000 and Mr. Perry's giving you 50,000, then you offer him 10%. If your company's worth $50,000 and he's putting in 50,000, he's going to want half. So I teach my business owners how to value their company. Talk about the management team, talk about your revenue to date, talk about your intellectual property protection, talk about what's happening in the industry, how much money you've put in so far, who else has put in money. There are things you can do to increase your valuation is basically what people will agree to. So if you watch Shark Tank, they come in with those first four questions. Hello, my name is Dave Walker. I'm with Positivity Alkaline Water. I'm looking for $100,000 for 10% interest in my company. That sets the tone for the investor to know, okay, do I want to be in the water business? Do I have 100000 Do I think this is a fair price? And having people know that immediately saves both of you time. When people give me a business plan and they don't tell me how much money they need in it, or they, you know, they don't tell me what investor get, I'm like, well, I didn't see how much money you need. Oh, that's a separate plan. Don't, don't play me. Don't play me. I need to flip that first page mm. and see the answer to those first four questions so I can know where I'm looking at it. If you need a million mm. and you're asking for 100000 from each person, I need to know that early. Don't have me reading stuff to tell me that later. So that's my two cents on that. More than two cents, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's quite a bit more than two cents, but I'm glad you took the time to, to kind of flesh that out. I'm definitely going to uh, be using and incorporating some of that in some of the projects I'm doing and, and potentially give you a call at some point in the future. I appreciate the, the information uh, that you gave me. I see why you were, you know, spending those two hours and why that was able to help grow your business the way it did. Appreciate you. Yeah, man. Good luck out there. I love uh, motivating business owners, helping them do it. Everything can be done. You just got to have a plan. And then I think education for our community really takes away a lot of the fear. People don't want to get sued and they don't want to go to jail. They don't want to cause no trouble. They don't want the IRS calling. So I, I try to give these people as much information as possible to take away a little bit of that fear so they might take the step towards entrepreneurship. Awesome. That's awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. No problem. I did want to bring up something that we talked about before we got on, which is the turkey drive you did and how amazing that was that you gave out over 250 turkeys, brother. And uh, I, I want to tell you that you might not ever really get the direct, you know, thank you or the direct pat on the back, but brother, 250 families prayed over that meat and put that much spirit and love into your life. So I, I tell people that charity ain't about the person receiving it. It's about the people giving it, man. So I, you got you had 250 Thanksgiving prayers on you, brother. So that's good stuff on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that, man. It was actually 232, but you know, hey, we'll 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 crush that 250 next year, man. I definitely appreciate that information, man. You enjoying yourself on Black Men Sundays, brother? Oh, I am. I am. And I appreciate you putting this out for our brothers and, you know, being able to share business, finance, um, financial literacy and build generational wealth. Um, you know, I, I too, um, have to learn 
from other people. In fact, on Wednesdays is my mental health day. Wednesday is the day I block off for myself. You know, I used to I used to think Saturdays and Sundays were mental health days, but it's not. It's a lot of work. It's traffic. Kids got to go here or there. Football is stressful. I got to make sure my fantasy team, you know, <laughs> doesn't lose. But on Wednesdays, man, I take a moment for myself and just, you know, whether it's going to the dentist or, you know, putting off a chore that I hadn't done in a while or something, but taking time out for yourself to realize that there's a lot going on in this world and you've got to be committed to yourself. So I appreciate you guys finding time for black men for themselves on Sundays. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah, definitely, man. And, you know, um, you know, you mentioned a turkey drive that was our first initiative. We have other initiatives that are going to be coming down in the new year. Um, but before I let you get out of here, man, you know, me and you, we spoke uh, about a month ago and, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, I was telling you about the show Generational Wealth. But one of the things that I really wanted to discuss before I let you get out of here, the wealth gap, you know, I see so many articles and I've had guests on the show. 2053, there's not going to be any black wealth. So what are your thoughts on that? And do you believe that we can decrease this wealth gap? Oh, it's it's happening. I think that there's been a lot of misappropriation and mischaracterization of what black people are actually doing, whether it's planned or not. I'm not going to get into, but I I live in Atlanta and black wealth is growing. So I've seen it with my clients. I've seen it with people. I'll tell you, when I first became in the venture capital firm, there was no Black people around even talking or saying the words equity. You know, my my friends was trying to do a rap album in 98. You know what I'm saying? And I'm trying to tell them about, you know, buying and selling business and they want to do it. And it's fair. That's how people was going to come up. Rap, you know, shooting hoops, playing football seemed to be our only avenue. But I went to even earn your leisure. They had a they had the you know, financial expert here. And when I saw all these people, black people, interested in a very engaged way in something like financial. I mean, we're talking this, it looked like a mega church, but it was just mega business and the thirst. And now I see people who know, understand what a venture firm is. I see people now understanding what it is to acquire a business and franchises. And remember, we got off to a negative 400 year start so i think the pace in which we are teaching each other learning from each other my children now definitely know how entrepreneurship works you know i did it i did i did i knew through my aunt who had a beauty you know school and she was doing hair in the basement but you know what i'm saying now she's built an actual school with students and she's helping them learn how to be entrepreneurs and i think that narrative is not something the media can capture. It's captured through people like me, who's a business attorney. And when my business is growing, and I'm saying in Atlanta that people are making real serious moves and people are doing and putting themselves out there, couples, people are walking away from corporate jobs, starting their own, it's happening. And that's how you really build wealth. It's not something you can fix overnight. You can't uh, reparation it, you know? It's something that people have to have information and knowledge in the way that we're sharing and growing. There's still, you know, some consolidation that needs to happen, ways in which we put money into each other. I think that's the biggest part, right, is that 
now I got to earn it as positivity and then go out and invest it in another business. So one Dave Walker can make the difference with five or six positivities. But I think you're starting to see athletes, celebrities understand that, hey, maybe I need to put my money into this so I can multiply it because this is truly how you change generational wealth. So I just don't buy that narrative. I, I, mean, I think that it's actually is growing and getting better. And I don't think it's going to be televised. It's happening behind closed doors. And most my business owners don't want you to know who they are. If somebody ever called them, they'd be like, no, nah, I'm broke. Business is bad. <laughs> so, I mean, of course, they go, oh, see, black people, business is bad. And they ain't going to tell you they just closed a million dollar deal. So I don't think it's something that the world's going to see. I think people in our professional spaces see it happening, changing. And I think it's working. Great. And lastly, before I let you go, man, because I got a few questions on this. No, so if I'm a startup business, why do I need a lawyer? All right. You don't, right? You don't need a lawyer. In fact, you probably can't afford one. Like my retainer is 5000 So my ideal client is not usually a startup. Unless you come from the corporate world where, you know, you got a little extra money and you want to come out the box firing with a business attorney. You know, I'm usually for a person who's kind of going along in their business and now it's made enough money where 5000 is not a lot of money to them. I mean, you think about an employee that costs $60,000 a year, 5000 for an attorney is nothing. But if you start a business, it's a lot. Well, I tell people what you have to do to start a business is make money, <laughs> okay? The more money you make, the more riskier things get. And when things get riskier, that's when you need an attorney. So if you're going out selling cookies on the weekend, making three, $400 a month, you don't need an attorney. You start selling cookies to Walmart, 400,000 cookies a month, you definitely need an attorney. More money's at stake. So I tell people in business, you only need an attorney when money comes into play. If you have a transaction or a commitment that's going to commit you to over $10,000, whether you're paying it or receiving it or whatever's happening, that's when you get to the point where you're like, you know what? Let me talk to Dave because it might be worth it. But you don't need one to start it. Now, is it helpful? Sure. I mean, it's like anything, right? You, to go to California, you could actually walk, right? You can just walk. Nobody can stop you. You can ride a bike. You take a moped and to get from A to B, same options, right? I'm like the Ferrari though, right? We customize seats. So it just depends on your mode of transportation, but you can still get there. Um, you know, in some ways you can get there faster than the others and better than others, but you can get there without one. And I actually advocate, you know, some people are like, well, I have legal shield and I have, you know, rocket lawyer. Go, you should keep that. That's like, don't you use whatever it takes to stay in business forever, range your business in. But when you get a chance to bring in a Tyler Perry that wants to put a hundred thousand dollars to your company, Rocket Lawyer and Legal Shield ain't gonna be able to help you, right? So that's the point you go, okay, let me call Dave because this person's serious, or I'm about to put a hundred thousand into something. I better call Dave at least to figure out, you know, if this is the right way of doing it. There we go, man. Great information, man. Nice way to. Wrap it up, man. David M. Walker, Esquire. This brother has his own water company, man. We talking about our water, our water, though. Ours, ours. ours. Okay. Well, well, you know that. I'll think about that when that turkey drop pops up next year. Oh, It'll yeah, be our absolutely. water there. Yeah, we definitely gonna need some waters for absolutely. them to wash that you. turkey down with. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt. Spread that positivity at Thanksgiving. No problem. Definitely, man. And 
Thanks for coming on Black Men Sundays, man. We enjoyed you. We enjoyed your time. Ton of tips, man. And let me go on and get me a swig of this water. And I was going to say, man, I did a lot of promo for that turkey drive as well, man. A lot of promo. I think on one of the uh, shoots I did, I actually drank the water. I'm going to have to send you the link. I think I drank the water. And my wife was like, now, if you take one more sip of that water, I'm going to call, I'm gonna have to call Brother Walk Up and get you a check. If you were sipping it, like, he done gave you a billion dollars. <laughs> Yeah, man. Hey, hey, man, the positivity is flowing, man. Good people like yourself, man, are attracted to the brand and, um, you know, love the water. And we're having a good time with it, man. I said it's the people's water. It's our water. It's God's water. I'm just delivering it, right? Definitely. And lastly, and lastly, where can we get this water? I know Eric asked you, but where can we get the water, brother? Riser right now? Amazon, Walmart.com. Uh, our website, Positivity Alkaline Water, is another option. And then Walmart in the spring. Sounds good. Well, there it is. David M. Walker, thanks for coming on Black Men Sundays. We appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of your week, brother. Peace. All right. Right on. What up, though, Detroit? It's a Black Man Sunday. Time to put all childish things.